Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The illness had come on rapidly. Their brother's health was failing fast and they didn't know why. The sisters had done what they could to give Lazarus rest and every comfort. They took turns with him, bathing his forehead, his neck, and his arms in an attempt to bring down the fever. As his symptoms worsened, the sisters became more alarmed. Let's send for Jesus, Martha said one day. He can take this sickness from Lazarus. Mary agreed, and a friend of their brother went in search of the teacher. A few days later, he returned. He had found Jesus in a town near the Jordan River, and their message requesting him to come heal his friend had been delivered. The two women were relieved, and hope was renewed. Their brother would be made well soon. Mary spoke all this to Lazarus that afternoon while cooling his fevered face, but that night he took a turn for the worse. His breathing became labored. His fever seemed to increase. He became delirious. All the next day, Lazarus' condition worsened. His breathing slowed and became shallow. He couldn't speak. Mary and Martha held on to the hope that Jesus was on his way, was even now in the outskirts of Bethany, hurrying through the streets to their home. They clung to each other and whispered that when the teacher came, all would be well. But as night fell, Lazarus passed into unconsciousness, and a few hours later, his chest ceased its rhythmic rise and fall. Their brother was dead. A darkness deeper than the night fell on the women. The next day, as the news of Lazarus' death spread throughout the village, Friends and neighbors came to sit with Mary and Martha and weep. The body was prepared and wrapped for burial. The procession proceeded toward the tomb with much wailing, the women of the village crowding around Mary and Martha to support them in their misery and their grief. Lazarus' body was gently laid on the burial slab. As the stone at the entrance of the tomb was rolled into place, Mary and Martha were overcome once again, and they wept openly. Mary sank to her knees. Martha turned from the tomb, and through her tears gazed down the road toward Bethany and home, half expecting to see Jesus and his band of disciples hurrying to meet them. But the road was empty. And so was her heart. Jesus had not come. I would venture to guess that many, or even all of us at one time or another, have felt what surely Mary and Martha felt as that stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb of Lazarus, their brother. Fear weighing you down or loneliness 
welling up inside of you. Maybe you felt abandoned or betrayed by your friends, or perhaps you've held resentment in your heart, felt despair or hopelessness overwhelm you so that you can't breathe, or maybe it's anger or grief that has threatened to smother you. Maybe you've wondered where Jesus was in some dark hour, or maybe you wonder where he is right now. Why hasn't he come to my aid? Does he even care? Why has he allowed this tragedy, this situation, to happen to you or to someone close to you? Maybe your hope is waning thin. Maybe your prayers don't seem to be answered. Or maybe the answers that you want just aren't coming. Sometimes all we can see are dry bones littering the valley floor and we can't see how they can live again. The stone has slammed shut, sealing the tomb. And all we have are questions, and the heavens seem to be silent. When Jesus hears that Lazarus is ill, he knows how it will end. And what action does he take? He takes none. One day goes by, then two. Jesus says, okay, Lazarus has died. Let's go back to Judea. And the disciples know that this is a dangerous plan for Jesus. They say, the Jews want to stone you, and are you going there again? But Jesus isn't looking out for himself. He knows how this will end for him, too. He's stayed two days near the Jordan River, waiting for the stage to be set. And once death has come to his good friend, whom he loves, he sets out. And I think he travels not too quickly. Healing Lazarus of his illness would have been a miracle to be sure. He could have healed him from where he was, without traveling to Bethany. Instead, he and his disciples arrive to all appearances, four days too late. Stop here in the story, and Jesus' actions would not be the actions of a friend, of someone who loves Lazarus, or Mary, or Martha. They would be, in fact, just the opposite, actions of someone who could care less. Jesus sends no word. He doesn't attempt to get to Lazarus in time. It's a scandal that the one who opened the eyes of the blind, who cast out demons, who healed all manner of sickness with a word, did not even lift a finger to save a good man whom everyone thought was his friend. And yet, Jesus has a purpose. For days, no one knows what that purpose is. But Jesus is going to be glorified, and faith is going to be strengthened. To his disciples, Jesus simply says, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Jesus himself is near death. As he approaches the outskirts of Bethany, he's now only two miles from Jerusalem. 
and it's from Bethany that he'll approach the city of David for the last time. Very soon he's going to be lifted up, breathe his last, and be buried, a stone sealing the entrance to his own borrowed tomb. The death of Lazarus and his resurrection are precursors of Jesus' own death and resurrection. And not only that, but they're a precursor of your death and resurrection. To Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. At how many funerals have we heard these words of Jesus? To how many grief-filled and fearful hearts have these words brought hope and comfort? I'm sure they rang in the ears of the early Christians who were martyred for that very belief that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, that in his great love for them he bore their sins to the cross, that he overcame even death for them in his sacrifice for sin and in his own glorious resurrection on Sunday morning. Jesus says a little later in John, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can know, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, that no matter our situation, no matter our feelings of fear, betrayal, anger, or despair, Jesus has overcome it all. We can trust that Jesus knows our problems, and we can trust his promise that he is working everything for our good. In fact, Jesus wants far more, far better for us than we even want for ourselves. In what seemed to be an impossible situation, Jesus performs a great miracle. He says, take away the stone. And Martha replies, the body is decomposing by now. But decomposing bodies are not a problem for Jesus. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died, John reminds us, came out. Fear, loneliness, abandonment, Betrayal, resentment, despair, hopelessness, anger, grief, in a moment, these are gone. And John closes our reading by saying that many who had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Paul writes, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we have ideas about what Jesus ought to do for us, remember that he knows us intimately, every detail. Remember that he sits in power at the right hand of God, that he loves us and is working constantly for our good, and that the good he has planned for us includes our own resurrection from the dead. One day, he'll stand before our tomb and call us to come out. 
Until that day comes, we profess our faith in Him, our Savior and our Lord. And we trust that in all things, even in these unprecedented days, He is working for our good. In the name of Jesus, Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.